Our scripture reading comes from Genesis 41, verses 1 through 16. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows in the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called all for all of the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. Pharaoh told him his dreams, but there was Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Let's pray. Father, it's hard for us to only be captured by the things that um, we can see and feel uh, and hear and touch but that doesn't mean that there is a reality beyond uh, what is the physical and what is uh, often seen with our eyes. And Father, we're thankful that uh, you dwell in that reality and that your presence here this morning, though we can't touch it and feel it, is just as real as our very own presence. So Father, use uh, your presence, use your word uh, to change our hearts, to change our lives, to draw us closer to you, to make us people uh, who celebrate because we have been saved by your grace. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you uh, have been with us for the past couple weeks, you'll know that uh, we have been looking uh, at a a dysfunctional family that is recorded uh, for us in the first uh, book of the Bible, in the latter half of the first part of the book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. This was a family that uh, had started uh, with Abraham. God came to Abraham and promised that he would have a large family that would grow into a great nation. And this family does indeed grow into a great nation. But if you look really closely at the story, one of the things you'll discover is that this family, though it was used by God, was an absolute mess. The family was full of liars and cheaters and swindlers and sexual deviants. They were an absolute mess. And yet, in spite of that, God chose to be 
in relationship with them. It's a wonderful reminder to all of us that the foundation of our relationship with God is not the fact that we have it all together. It's not the fact that our lives are put together and we are righteous more than anyone else. The foundation of our relationship is purely God's grace present in our lives. His grace was present in this family, particularly in the life of Joseph. And that's the particular generation that we have been looking at. And one of the things we've discovered about Joseph's life is it really is a roller coaster. It's lots of ups and downs, wonderful uh, peaks and, and very deep troughs that Joseph had to go through. And this morning, when we look at our passage, we're going to look at one particular section of Joseph's life. And I think we'll find a few things about the life of Joseph that speak to us about, the, about what the life of faith in God is really all about and speak to us also a little bit about the character of the God whom we serve. But the first thing uh, that we really see in, uh, in the life of Joseph is we see that Joseph is a, a man who is long-suffering. Now, we don't use that term a whole lot in our culture anymore, but long-suffering really is patience combined with trust that carries us through the long haul. That's what long-suffering is. It's something that when I look at my life, I don't particularly see very easily. If you know me, uh, you'll know that I tend to be w- uh, what I call kind of a quick fix-it personality. I'm a person that, that likes to have things fixed quickly. For some reason, uh, in our lives this year, we've had all sorts of things break at our house. Have you ever been through years like that? You'll, sometimes you'll go through a whole year, nothing at all will break, and then one year, everything seems to break at once. And this was one of those years for our family. It seems like everything has broken in our home this year. My wife will inevitably call me and she say, X, Y, and Z is now broken. And then I launch into quick fix-it mode, all right? And what that looks like for me is I think, who can I call to get this problem fixed right now? Who can I call that will come and fix it immediately for me at this moment? And, and what often happens is I'm more frustrated by the intrusion of the problem on my time than often I am with the actual problem itself. I realize that other people aren't like me. There's other people out there that are very deliberate. They want to think things through. They want to get lots of quotes from different people and compare all those quotes. But that is not me. I am a quick fix-it personality. But what gets me into trouble And maybe if you're like me, this happens to you too. What gets me into trouble is that sometimes I apply this very thing to relationships in my life. There may be some relational issue in my life or some challenge that my life is dealing with. And all I want to do is fix it and then move on. I just want to simply put that problem behind me. But what I often find is that life and relationships, but most certainly life, doesn't always cooperate with my plans and my desires. Sometimes I'm called and sometimes all of us are called to live in the tension of things that are not fixed. To live in the dysfunction or dissonance that life often throws on our path. Sometimes 
God calls us simply to be long-suffering. When we last uh, looked at Joseph last week, uh, he was really on the downside of, his, of the roller coaster of his life. He had been falsely accused of a, a, an attempted rape that he didn't uh, attempt, but was thrown into prison nonetheless. He was a man who had experienced one point his father's favor and he had risen in the ranks of Potiphar's home and all these wonderful things that he'd accomplished or things that had been true about his life had all been taken away from him. And when our story opens, he is once again in chains. He's in one of those trough periods of his life. But what we've also learned about Joseph is that Joseph is a dreamer. He's someone who has dreams that give uh, symbols or pictures of the future. We saw that in the first week when we looked at his life. But he also is one who has the ability to hear other people's dreams and provide interpretations of those dreams. In Genesis chapter 40, this very thing happens. Joseph interacts with two of Pharaoh's officials who had also been thrown into prison with him, a cupbearer and a baker. And one night, both of these characters have dreams that cause them to to wake up very troubled in their spirit. And the cupbearer comes to Joseph and says, do you know anything about this dream? And and Joseph interprets the dream for him and gives him a favorable interpretation saying, you'll be back in Pharaoh's presence just within a few days. Well, the baker comes to Joseph with a dream as well, but his interpretation is much less fortunate. And Joseph tells the baker that your life will be taken from you within just a few days. Sure enough, a few days later, both of these interpretations come true. The baker is killed and the cup baker is restored back into Pharaoh's presence. But Joseph had asked that cup bearer for a favor. He said, when you are restored, remember me. Remember this favorable interpretation that that I have given you that comes from God. But when Genesis 40 ends up telling us at the very end is that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. Joseph was left in prison and he was forgotten. In fact, for two years, Joseph remains in prison, remains in this unfortunate state all the way up until someone else's dream needed to be interpreted. Friends, you and I uh, live in unresolved tension all of the time. We live in unresolved tensions every day. When Joseph was in prison, he was falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit. He had seen a clear path out of it, but that path didn't work out in his favor. So God had him stay. He had him stay in this mess of his life. It's a reminder that sometimes God doesn't call us to the easy way out of the messiness of our lives. Sometimes he calls us simply to be faithful in the mess, to live within the dissonance and the dysfunction that relationships in life often throw our path. Often he calls us simply to wait. I think when he calls us to do this, we can, we can have two responses. 
I think one is we can allow those kind of unresolved tensions or those difficulties to what Run Writer called, we can allow it to calcify our spirit. We can allow those difficulties or those unresolved tensions to make our lives and to make our hearts callous and cynical towards God and towards life. Perhaps it can transfer into anger at God or anger at other people for where we are. We get upset with God because we feel like he isn't holding up our end of the bargain. So instead, we become hard or we choose to simply move on from our relationship with him. But the other response that we can have to these unresolved difficulties or this mess, the other response is the one that it appeared Joseph had in this difficult part of his life. We can allow it to produce in our hearts and our lives the character of long-suffering. What long-suffering means is it means living in the unresolved tensions of life and allowing those unresolved tensions to translate into a deeper trust and a greater confidence in our relationship with God the Father. We're presented with these things all the time, and very often God calls us to patience. If you're a quick fix-it person like I am, that can be a difficult place to be in. We live in a society that values instant gratification and quick fix-it scenarios, but often the life of of faith calls us to the reverse. It calls us to patience. It calls us to seasons of trust where we have to live in the midst of unresolved pain and tension. It calls us to long suffering. And what's beautiful about our story and what's beautiful about our passage is it tells us what the product or what the result of a life of long suffering looks like. We see two things in the life of Joseph that helps us to see what long suffering translates into. The first thing we see in Joseph's story is for him, it translated into confidence and faith. In God's ability, confidence and faith in God's ability. Genesis uh, 41 starts with another dream. This time the dream is Pharaoh's. He is the king of Egypt, one, a ruler of one of the most powerful uh, empires in the ancient world. And he has a very vivid dream about cows emerging from the Nile and about ears of grain. And he wakes up after both of these dreams the next day and his spirit is troubled. He is plagued by the memory of these dreams that he uh, had the night before. Because his spirit is so troubled, the whole palace hears about it. And that all of a sudden in the mind of the cupbearer put the light bulb on. Because in that moment, the cupbearer finally remembered Joseph. So the cupbearer tells Pharaoh about Joseph. Our passage tells us that that Pharaoh calls for, for Joseph. He has to clean himself up and he's called into Pharaoh's presence. And Pharaoh tells him all about the dream and asks him to interpret the dream for him. And Joseph says this in verse 16. It says, Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh the favorable 
answer. You see, Joseph in this moment has a, a, a special measure of certainty. You see, Joseph is certain that God will provide Pharaoh the answer. You know, as I looked at this passage this week, I thought, what made Joseph so certain that God was going to come through in this situation? Remember, Joseph's been in prison for probably two years. I can imagine he must have prayed thousands and thousands of times that God would rescue him from prison, yet God chose to leave him there. God chose to answer those prayers in a different way. And yet he enters into the presence of Pharaoh and he has one of the most powerful rulers in the ancient world. And yet in that moment, Joseph is confident of God's ability, confident that God is going to come through in that moment. You see, I would have told Joseph to not be so bold. I would have told Joseph, hey, maybe you want to qualify your answer to Pharaoh a little bit. You might want to say something along the lines of, well, maybe God may give you, Pharaoh, a favorable answer. Be careful here, Joseph, about what you're saying. But he wasn't. Not Joseph. Even though Joseph's life was a mess, even though it was full of unresolved tension, he allowed it to build his faith and confidence in God. And that is what came through in the presence of Pharaoh. Friends, this, this kind of faith that we see in Joseph, this kind of faith isn't something that you and I can manufacture on our own. You see, the temptation for us would be to think we need to go out and conjure up this faith in our lives, that this confidence is something that we can get by sheer willpower, just trying harder. But at the end of the day, the scriptures are clear that this kind of faith is a gift from God. In fact, the scriptures are clear that all faith, that faith is always a gift from God. The faith that saves us at the moment of our salvation is a gift of God's grace. And the faith that sustains us through life's challenges is a gift of God's grace too. Therefore, when we read stories like this or we confront the challenges of life that come at us all the time, we ought to draw, it ought to drive us to our knees and pray that God would give us a greater gift of faith and confidence in him. Maybe Joseph recognized that this faith or this confidence was a gift. If he did, then it translated not just into confidence in Pharaoh's presence, but it translated into something else. It also translated into a deep passion for God's glory, a deep passion for God's glory. You see, the Egyptians, they believed that the gods had lived in, in the Nile River. It was the very center of their ancient culture. When they looked at the Nile, they thought of life and they thought of fertility. And they had all sorts of magicians and sorcerers who would also wield a certain measure of, of powers and ability in the ancient world. But both the gods of the Nile and the magicians and sorcerers all failed to provide an interpretation for Pharaoh. 
But the writer of Genesis wants us to see something in this passage. So what he does is he repeats something all throughout the narrative. We didn't get to read it all, but he repeats this all throughout the narrative. He says this in verse 16. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh the favorable answer. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. You see, Joseph reveals the dream to Pharaoh, but he consistently reminds Pharaoh that the credit doesn't belong to him. Instead, the credit belongs to God. One of my uh, favorite old sitcoms, it's unbelievable that it's old now, uh, is a show called Seinfeld. I'm sure that you have all seen it before. If you haven't, go watch it. Uh, Seinfeld's a great show, and there's a whole episode, an entire episode, that is built around who gets credit for buying a big salad. Maybe you've seen it before, but all the characters start to argue all throughout the show about who gets credit for buying this big salad. And the whole, the whole episode is built around it. What makes it funny is because it is so true. It is such a true reflection of the nature of humanity. Because our tendency as human beings is to take credit for things often that we have nothing to do with. So much of even our success and abilities, where we've gotten in our lives, is a result of things that were completely and utterly out of our control. And yet we often pride ourselves or become passionate about taking the credit for those things. This is what living outside of the truth of the gospel really does to us. It forces us to try to justify ourselves by seeking credit from other things, by trying to build our resume, by trying to make ourselves be worthwhile. You see, we need to be desired and wanted to be felt worthwhile, so we end up stealing credit that ultimately isn't even ours because we want our own glory. Joseph, in our story, could have easily, easily taken the credit for himself. He must have been thinking, here is my get out of jail free card. Here is my ticket out of here. All I need to do is take credit. But in the moment that was most important, instead what he does is you see that he is passionate about God's glory and not his own. Charles uh, Spurgeon was a, a famous preacher uh, that lived 100, 100 years ago. And people would travel all over the world, really, even just to hear him speak. People would be just kind of riveted to, to hear him preach and to hear him speak. And the story is told that uh, one Sunday, after having given a, a particularly devout and moving sermon, uh, he was greeted by one of his members uh, at, at the back of the church after the end of the service. And this member came up to him and said, uh, Charles, that was, sir, that was the greatest sermon I have ever heard preached. And you, my friend, are the greatest pastor who has ever lived. 
And Spurgeon smiled at him and he, and, and the man says, you must have heard this before. And Spurgeon smiled at him and said, yes, the devil told me that very thing 10 minutes ago. You see, Spurgeon knew the tendency of his own heart to seek glory and credit. And the same is true for you and I. One of the core uh, beliefs that we have in our faith tradition speaks to something very important about the very core of what we believe about the human condition. It tells us that our lives, your life and mine, are best lived when we are passionate not about our own glory, but when we are passionate about God's glory and when we revel in his greatness. You see, this is the product of a life of faith. It is a life that is ultimately not lived about us or for us. It is a life centered on bringing glory and praise to God above. The last thing I want us to see in in this passage is something that's very easy to miss, but I think is really important. And you see it in uh, in chapter 41, verse 14. It says this. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. You see, this story and these chapters uh, talk about one man's deliverance from the pit. Other translators have, have used the word dungeon or, or, or prison when they have translated this passage. But what I think is so powerful about this is the fact that the scriptures speak about another pit. They speak about another dungeon or another prison. And this prison or pit isn't a literal one. Instead, it's a spiritual one. The scriptures tell us that each one of us have become lawbreakers. We have broken the covenant that God made of us. Each one of us have sinned and we have gone our own way. And because of this, we all are cast into a spiritual state from which you and I cannot recover from. We have become helplessly imprisoned in our sin. But what the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us is that though that is where we find ourselves, God sends for our rescue. I want to read the words of a psalm uh, that has become very precious to me over the years. And what's amazing about this psalm is you can apply, apply it almost word for word back to the Joseph story, but also apply it to every one of our stories as well. Listen to these words. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. And he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Friends, Jesus Christ was the one who patiently endured. He was ultimately the one who was long-suffering, who patiently endured, and that patient endurance took him all the way to his own death. It took him all the way to the cross. 
And because of him, because of his perfect sacrifice on our behalf, we can be lifted out of the pit and we can be placed firmly in the presence of God the Father who loves us desperately. Not because of the credit that we deserve for whatever we think we've done, but because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. Trust in him. Receive his gift of grace. Experience that gift of faith he gives to those who seek him and ultimately to those who find life in him. Let's pray.